Hello and welcome to the third ever crossover episode of Tech Swamp and our first official global member takeover episode. Um, this month we're being joined by members from the US, EU, and UK to give us the latest updates on what they're up to as well as what's top of mind as regulators and legislators gear up for a busy fall. Um, but before we hear from the members, we still have our host and friendly membership team here today. Hey Brad. Why? Hello there. Why? Hello. Um, Caitlin. That's right. <laughs> Caitlin, what's up? <laughs> Just membership chilling. Purge. I, I was hoping so. Um, and of course, uh, I am Alex. Um, before we get to our members, um, we're going to talk tech history and the top global tech headlines. August 20th, 1911, 111 years ago this month, the first commercial telegram was sent around the world. The New York Times sent a telegram that read, quote, this message, this message sent around the world uh, and was only sent to test how fast the message could be sent and returned. The telegram was sent at 7 p.m., traveled over 28,000 miles, was relayed by 16 different operators and completed its journey 16.5 minutes later. Um, the message traveled through the Philippines, Malta, Lisbon, and countless other countries before arriving back to one Times Square in New York City. The telegram was a popular method of communication for over 150 years, but in January 2006, the world's most famous telegram agency, Western Union, announced it was discontinuing all telegram services. Fun fact, you can still send physical telegrams, but text or email just seems easier, to be honest. Um, and the rest is tech history. And now on to bites and brews. Caitlin and Brad, we know things slowed down significantly in August here in the US, but also in the EU, EU and the UK. Um, despite a bit of a lull in the world of policy and regulation, what is going on in the news across the globe? So the European Commission is preparing a draft implementing regulation that lays down further procedural aspects concerning certain practical arrangements under Article 46 of the Digital Markets Act otherwise known as the DMA. Practical arrangements here mean measures that define the concrete application of the DMA's rules. We expect the Commission to launch a public consultation on this draft before the end of the year once the DMA has officially entered into force, which is likely going to be in late October or early November. The Commission then plans to adopt the implementing regulation in the first quarter of 2023. Measures that are likely to be covered in this draft implementing regulation include practical arrangements for market investigations, exercising rights to be heard, the term of disclosure, the terms of disclosure, excuse me, cooperation and coordination between the commission and national authorities, and the calculation and extension of deadlines other implementing acts concerning the DMA are expected to be prepared by the European Commission throughout 2023. In an effort to crack down on harmful commercial surveillance and lax data security, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission is stepping into data privacy with a new effort to review and update data privacy rules. The commission voted three to two uh, to begin the process, which kicks off with a request for comment from the public. This comes as U.S. Congress is considering privacy legislation before the end of the 117th Congress. But with a heavy to-do list between now and the end of the year, 
it's unclear if any legislation dealing with data privacy will be passed. Head to the show notes for more info on the FTC's movement around privacy. Microsoft is facing more trouble in the EU, but this time in Germany. The German cartel office is preparing a draft decision related to the German Competition Act to determine whether Microsoft will should be designated as having paramount significance for competition across markets. The decision will likely be published in September, and if it's designated under the scope of the rules, Germany's competition regulator will be able to intervene to ban anti-competitive behavior like self-preferencing. We'll be sure to keep you posted on this in future episodes of TechSwamp. While members of Congress are back in their respective states and districts campaigning in the midterm elections, TikTok released a plan to tackle misinformation and paid political ads on their platform. The social media platform will begin to table content related to elections and label all content from accounts belonging to governments, politicians, and political parties in the U.S. TikTok already bans political advertising, but said paid influencer content, also known as SponCon, can be harder to detect than a traditional advertisement. For more information on TikTok's election center and the midterms generally, head to the show notes. And that's all for What's Brewing. Joining us now in our Global Tech Swamp member takeover, we're sitting down with U.S.-based member Lily Tsai of member company Nourisher. Hey, Lily, thanks for joining us. Hi, Alex, and hi, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. We're so excited to have you join us on the pod. I'm hoping you can kick us off and give our listeners a little background on who you are and what you at Nourisher do, you know, kind of fill us in and and let our listeners know what Nourisher is all about. Yeah, sure. Um, I would love to. So I'm Lily Tai and I'm the founder and CEO of Nourisher. And essentially at Nourisher, we recommend foods to optimize your nutrition based on what you already eat and what you like to eat. So our core product is a one-week snapshot program where you track what you eat for a week and we deliver a nutritional profile and make recommendations to optimize your nutrition. Um, The nutritional profile will include macros like calories, fat, carbs, cholesterol, and micronutrients, uh, including minerals like calcium, iron, magnesium, and vitamins A, B, C, D, uh, and onwards. So the recommendations component of our product is what's novel and different from other nutrition trackers. Our recommendation algorithm is AI-based and patent-pending, and basically it searches through all the possible foods that you might like. So if you're vegan, it would only search vegan items, and it finds foods that will optimize your nutrition based on the profile of the foods that you already eat. Um, So for example, if you're high in sugar and fat, but low in vitamin B6, then it will find items that are low in sugar and fat and high in B6. Um, And the cool thing is that we can use math to simultaneously optimize for all your nutrients uh, personalized to your needs. And that's something that a nutritionist and dietitian wouldn't be able to do outside from giving general guidelines. So ultimately, Food is so personal to us. It's our identity and our culture. And what we eat is constrained by our budget, our time, how we feel in the moment, 
uh, and the grocery stores or restaurants near us. At the same time, food is also medicine. It keeps us healthy and alive. So today, what, what really inspired me is that there is a big gap in our nutrition education. Um, growing up, I really did not know much about nutrition. I just knew that vegetables are good for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, it doesn't help that you know USDA and FDA, although they do an exemplary job of ensuring nutritional guidelines are, are met, they're also biased by lobbyists in the dairy and meat industry that have um, their own agenda. So it's awesome that your organization is here to lobby for apps and for the people and um, basically to speak for the people. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, the, the other aspect is that we also get pressure from social media to be a certain body type, to do a certain thing, a certain type of fitness. Um, so our concept of what's healthy is really influenced by all these social pressures as well as just general lack of nutrition education um, and like uh, exposure to the different fads that we hear um, on social media. So how do we connect food as our identity and culture and food as medicine? And at Nourisher, our mission is to make nutrition knowledge easy and joyful and to make that a part of your daily life that's um, just something fun that you want to take a part of. Um, so yeah, in the future, our plan is to integrate our recommendation algorithm um, into groceries. So essentially, anytime you buy groceries at the store, it would track the nutrients of your groceries and recommend foods and recipes that would op optimize your nutrition. Um, and ideally, it could then track your nutrient from your groceries um, for you know months, years, even decades at no effort to you because you're buying the groceries anyways. Um, and it can conceivably prevent disease and say, hey, we notice you tend to be low on this in the last decade. So maybe this is associated with this disease and it can prevent um, these diseases from happening in the future. That's so fascinating. I, that's such a cool product. And I think it's so cool that you're able to sort of like harness, you know, I think the like connection that technology allows for people to then like take this and learn about their own health and manage their own health through nutrition. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that sort of gets into the other question I wanted to ask um, sort of around like overall how you see benefits of like technology and connected health tools like this um, kind of feeding into wider health goals um, and, and why you sort of feel like Nourisher really helps play a role in that. Yeah, for sure. So connected health to me is about leveraging today's technology to help us be the healthiest we can to prevent disease and enjoy our life. Um, and when I say technology, I'm talking about both uh, hardware, software, and scientific advancements in understanding nutrition and disease. So on the hardware side, we can now monitor heart rate and activity level from just a watch or a ring, um, like Apple Watch, Fitbit, uh, Fitbit or Garmin. And we're also seeing really cool connected health products like saliva, urine, um, and blood trackers that can basically see what nutrients you're missing from your saliva. Whoa. And then, yeah, and <laughs> recommend foods to optimize your nutrition. Um, foods are supplements because um, a lot of this industry is focused on supplements and I think for Nourisher we want to recommend whole foods um, or even like whole foods or processed foods that things that are real foods and not supplements that can optimize your nutrition. Um, so yeah on the software side we can track nutrition from almost every food item and there's a ton of nutrition tracking apps 
um, including nourisher, such as MyFitnessPal, Chronometer, LifeSum, um, and so on and so forth. And on the uh, software side, we also have advancements in machine learning and AI, and that's really where Nourisher comes in. We're basically using math to optimize nutrition and prevent disease. Um, on the scientific advancement side, we know that major diseases like type 2 diabetes and heart disease are lifestyle-related diseases that might be preventable with proper activity level and um, nutrition and diet. We also know that depression and poor sleep are regulated to nutritional deficits such as magnesium and selenium. And we also know that certain nutrients are necessary for proper tooth development and alignment in child nutrition. So all of these things put together, like technology has really come to a point where connected health is now possible. And the goal of all this technology is to make that health and that knowledge accessible to every consumer at a grassroots level. So you, you wouldn't have to just figure out what you're missing when you're actually sick and already at the doctors. You'd be able to like know this in advance and plan uh, to have the best health that you could. I did want to put a plug in, um, which is, uh, so Nourisher was founded about five months ago. We're based in Arlington, Virginia, and right now it's just me, and we're definitely growing. So if anyone's interested in an internship or working with us, either as a software developer or in business dev and marketing, please be in touch with me. My email is lily at nourisher.com. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. That was fantastic. I, I really feel like I learned a lot there, Lily. Thank you so much for joining us for our Global TechSwamp member takeover. It was so great to have you join us for the first time on TechSwamp, and I sincerely hope we'll be seeing you uh, again on here soon. Thanks so much, Brad, and thanks so much, Alex, for having me. So as we mentioned earlier, we're sitting down with member companies across the globe for a global TechSwamp member takeover. I'm extremely excited to welcome William Fish, founder and managing director at UK-based member company Manualytica. Hey, William, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Of course, we're thrilled to have you. Um, and since this is your first time joining us on Global Tech Swamp, can you give our listeners a little background on who you are and what you and the team at Manulitica do? Um, basically, just let our listeners know what Manulitica is all about. Well, thanks. Uh, Manulitica, as you mentioned, is a UK-based company. Uh, we're based in the north of England, as it's the traditional industrial heartland of manufacturing within the UK. And that's what our, f our focus is. So Manulitica, we're focused on trying to change the way that industry captures, contextualizes and uses data for condition monitoring and predictive maintenance and all those other interesting pe pieces that come from smart factory and industry four. But one of those, one of those things with, with working in that area, we do use a lot of interesting technologies. Uh, and about a month ago, we put in uh, our first patent application for what is our core, core device, which is a universal industrial IO device, which can read and control sensors and actuators, the most common that, that are found in industry and manufacturing. 
But around that, we use lots of, of interesting technologies. But one of the, the core aspects of Manulitica when, when was first set out is it will be based on as many standard, international accepted standards as possible. That's partly so it's less effort to maintain and it's easier to push out around the globe. Um, but additionally, I don't want to end up with being uh, a point of I'm wholly reliant on proprietary technology that I developed myself because it's very difficult to, to get adoption of that. So one of the, the big areas of technology that we rely on is radio technology because that's one of the, the key areas of industrial internets of things is how do I manage the, the data and get it to somewhere else. So we use um, radio technologies around the 2.4 gigahertz range and that then fits into the Bluetooth model and the Zigbee model and the others and so there's all sorts of interesting uh, proprietary and patenting within those areas as well as 2G, 3G, 4G and 5G areas and in fact just this week I've been speaking with um, one of the partner companies I work with Nordic Semi and they're working on a, a, a side part of 5G, which is called New Radio Plus, which again is not available in the market. It's, it's very leading edge. So you can see we're, we use lots of interesting technology and technologies that are just coming out now, but we are wholly reliant on the other people within that to allow us to use those and try to keep those technologies open for, for us to be able to build on. Absolutely. Well, you know, it sounds like you really know how to stay busy. <laughs> um, you know, the team at Manualytica, as you said, uses IoT tech, um, you know, to kind of change the way that enterprises capture, analyze and drive data. Um, so can you talk to our listeners about the direction of the IoT market and how Manualytica uses standards to kind of create uh, the, these successful products? So one of the, the things about uh, industry specifically is a lot of the times they have very old equipment that you'll find that lots of factories are run with equipment that's 15, 20 plus years old and they will have been built on proprietary technologies which means it's very difficult for them to interact with each other or for you to gather information from. So one of the, the key things that's come out of information technology is people like to have standards so they can use the data all across many sort of different platforms. But that's then driven back into uh, the hardware side. So you may not notice it so much nowadays, but you all have Wi-Fi devices and those are built on a standard which is now globally accepted. And the same sort of thing is coming into uh, manufacturing and industry so that we're trying to create devices which already conform to an accepted standard and that way when we look at the um, industrial IOT market that their Fortune and Business Insights did a report and they said in 2021 it was worth about 116 billion dollars the sort of industry for and that's that's a, a compound annual growth rate of about 16%. So there's lots of money being spent. But if you're spending those huge amounts of money, 
you would like it to still be relevant in five to 10 years time. So a lot of companies are asking, well, that needs to come with some standards. And if I just narrow on the, the UK market and the sort of smart factory and, and IoT side is about 21% of, of the automation spend at the moment, and it's just gonna continue. They're asking themselves, how can they ensure that it will follow on? And if my product that I'm selling to them, I say, don't worry, I'm using internationally recognized standards. So I'm using 5G and that will work all across Europe, will work all across the US, it'll work around Australasia. They feel much more comfortable. Now the, the, the oddity of it is, it makes me feel less comfortable when I sort of talk to people about using Wi-Fi and I then think about all the other pieces within within that that could catch me up because of all the 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 patents and and other pieces around it that I might not know about. So the use of the use of, of standardized technology buys you credibility and it buys you longevity and it buys you interoperability so that if there are other people in the market that are doing something similar for us to be able to work together it's far easier so that those are some of the reasons why uh, i i sort of have looked definitely at using standards but you can see that industry and manufacturing themselves are are very cognitive of standards and that is also holding them back so just looking at other other numbers just th thinking about it is 70 percent of people when surveyed in in manufacturing industry said they have at least a pilot running looking at industrial iot but less than 30 percent of companies that have been surveyed globally and there's been surveys done in europe and sweden and, and other areas and less than 30 percent of them said they've actually derived any value so there's lots and lots and lots of pieces where people are interested, but they're all very reticent to, to accept it. So there's, there's, there's lots of advantages to using a standard. Okay, yeah, and we, we have a wide range of members whose inventions integrate and build on standardized technologies like radio frequency identification. So Manulitica and other SMEs rely on standards for interoperability, and that means we need to ensure that there is fair, reasonable, and non-discriminatory licensing, also known as um, FRAND, which we've talked about on this podcast plenty of times. Um, and so as SMEs build new complex products, they'll need to count on being able to license standard essential patents on FRAND terms, right? And so there's a lot going on in the legislative space that concerns standard essential patents. And for the first time in a while, we've had some relatively good news. We just saw the, the UK's intellectual property office announce that the evidence gathering and stakeholder consultation that they've been holding will actually continue as they work to develop its policy recommendations. So basically, the IPO has recognized that this is a very, very complex policy issue that take, is going to take some more time to figure out what the best solution is. And a lot of um, the App Association's concerns were actually mentioned in their summary of the comments. So that was that was good news for us. 
Um, and I don't know if you're plugged into this debate, William, but what would you like to see in terms of protecting standards, especially for SMEs like Manulitica? What do you think regulators can do here? Oh, there is there is so much, but it's. I try to keep optimistic a lot of the times, but it's knowing how slow and cumbersome politics and bureaucracy can be when you're dealing with something about this this size. Um, I, I'm glad that they're still talking about it. I, I was involved with uh, with ACT and the, mm-hmm. the first consultation, so I was, I was really pleased that they've they've listened and they're going to push ahead with it. Um, as being being a, a startup and working through this, that especially as a hardware developer, you kind of know that you have very little protection against predatory use of uh, patents, whereas the the SEPs the the standards that they're they're putting through uh, those do offer me some good good protection but the the way that they're being implemented I'm not sure if they're there there yet uh, two examples of of again the idea with a, a radio provider and they have already signed into two two agreements one with with Nokia which allows me to do pass-through licensing of the Nokia's uh, patents on 5G network standards. But I don't know if they've quite implemented it the same way as they have done with their latest agreement that they have with Huawei. And Huawei have quite happily signed over a FRAND agreement, which is the, the fair use uh, agreement. So this automatically with, if you use their... Uh, technology there's already a fair use agreement already signed in the background so then further pro- protecting me so i i like the 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 world is looking at seps and frand and it, i think it's it's gathering momentum and gathering pace so i'm really pleased with the work that's already happened so far but i know there's a long way to go it it, it is one of those things that there's always going to be a, a level of predatory use of patents to protect their their space and that that's always going to exist but i'd like to see the the sort of legislative power of of governments you know looking at the us and looking at the eu and and other other governments to say well these are the boundaries so we're going to use them to protect organizations rather than waiting for uh, someone to have an innovation and become successful and then that innovation to be uh, stymied by somebody using their their historical patents to, to keep them under control. Absolutely. And, you know, we certainly hope to see uh, the US, the EU and the, the I- UK's IPO continue to work uh, to reduce risk for all of our member companies um, and, you know, the kind of risks that they're facing when they're innovating the next generation of technology, really hoping to alleviate that. Um, so, William, thank you so much for joining us on our global TechSwamp member takeover. It was so great to sit down and really understand the work that Manulitica does and how you're driving innovative solutions. Um, so thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, I look forward to joining you again in the future.
Up next in our Global TechSwamp member takeover, we are sitting down with U.S.-based member Parag Shah of member company Vimos. Hey, Parag, thanks for joining us. What's up, Brad? Appreciate you having me. Of course. We're super thrilled to have you back on the pod. And, you know, it's been a minute since you joined us. So I want you to kind of give our, our listeners a little bit of background on who you are and what you and the team at Vimos is doing. Um, you know, kind of fill us in and let our listeners know uh, what, what Vimos is all about. Yeah, absolutely, Caitlin. And thanks again for inviting me back on this podcast. So really excited to be here. Um, so yeah, Vimos is a technology company specifically geared towards the hospitality industry. So our customers include restaurants, bars, uh, concert venues, breweries, um, things of the like, you know, people need to eat and drink. So we want to cater to that sort of clientele. Um, we are a customer data platform and payments company for that industry. And so we create personalized digital experiences for those venues. And we also work with brands that serve those venues. So when you think about brands, you think about brands that you eat and drink, you know, you know, beer brands to liquor brands to food brands. Um, we also work across those brands and make sure that they're able to access inf key information to help them grow their business as well. Absolutely. So um want to touch base on a couple other things about Vimos. I know that you guys were pretty active, even though you're working with the hospitality industry, um, was pretty active during the pandemic. Um, can you kind of talk about how, um, you know, the way that you guys use technology helped you pivot during the pandemic to kind of reach the, the folks that needed it the most? Yeah, absolutely. We kind of hunkered down and said, we, we need to really focus on how to further help these restaurants and bars coming out of the pandemic, um, knowing that the hospitality industry was going to forever change. Um, and it's just sort of been stuck in sort of these old school methodologies um, in terms of technology for a long time. So we started developing a payments app um, called Vimos Pay. And... Um, really, the idea was sort of similar to what Apple Pay has done for for retail and grocery, um, and even for transit at some level. We wanted to create for the for the restaurant industry where a consumer could use a single mobile payments app across all restaurants, across all point of sale systems, across all uh, credit card processors, um, and make it really really easy for the consumer and the restaurant to interact through a single platform. Um, so that was really our focus um, once once we realized our industry was shut down. And um, I think that we got lucky in, in a way that we were able to have that in our vision from the beginning and we were able to focus on building that out. And so we were ready when the restaurant sort of came back online. There were a lot of still a lot of restrictions with dine-in um, guests in terms of being contactless, a lot of consumers were obviously fearful and we had you know little knowledge um throughout covid of how it spread so trying not to touch try not to touch checks or exchange too much information between the server and the customer so our technology really really helped a lot of venues um sort of go through that process as they got back to what i would say is a new normal now yeah and that that's a great uh application of how you were able to pivot in the the hardship of the pandemic within the hospitality industry to deliver some some different products that that helped 
your clients and customers get get through that difficult time. Uh, so Vimos allows venues to capture, analyze, and drive humanized data to better understand and grow their business. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about the way Vimos uses platforms and integrations to create a successful product? Yes, absolutely, Brad. Um, I mean, we wouldn't exist without platforms. I can tell you that right off the bat. Um, I think all of us would be in a very different world today without certain platforms that are out there. Um, but for us, you know, we we are very much bought into the um, sort of that smartphone ecosystem between iOS and Android. Um, we develop native apps on both of those platforms and we leverage a lot of what they've already built into their hardware um, to sort of, you know, allow our customers to be successful um, with using our products. Uh, one key example I would say um, is with ID verification. Um, prior to us and, and shockingly even still many bars that use an ID verification technology are, you know, buying thousand dollar pieces of what I call, you know, old school garbage that, you know, are, are, are not necessarily internet connected, don't really do much besides scan an ID. And, you know, with our product, they're able to just use the camera on their phone um, or any smart device to be able to validate the ID. And what's great about that is it, it's really low cost. You know, most of us today probably have extra hardware sitting around, extra phones, tablets, um, so they can use existing devices. Um, many of our customers even have their servers or, or security guards use their own devices, uh, but they're able to use something that they already have and, and use an existing piece of hardware. Um, and the fact that we're able to leverage the camera to do something cool, like validating a government issued ID is, is incredible in my opinion. Um, versus the alternative, which is them spending, you know, $1,200 on a, on a device. Um, so that's like one of many ways that we're, you know, leveraging these platforms to scale and build our products out. Um, another way that we're doing this is through the payment side. So, you know, back, back in the day, so to speak, it was very, very difficult to um, take a mobile payment because a lot of the, the payment processors weren't, you know, sort of integrated fully into these platforms. But since the launch of Apple Pay and Google Pay, it's been really seamless for that to work across all devices. It's also been really great for the consumer because of security. Um, many, many of the fraud that happens happens online because you are putting in your entire credit card number somewhere, which is very scary. Um, but because of the trust and the security measures that have taken place in the in the credit card industry specifically on mobile devices um, that has really increased consumer uh, adoption because they're you know they feel safer doing those types of transactions absolutely so it's like you know the the platforms you're using are giving you tools to create a product but also giving consumers you know a lot of security um you know with the way that they're operating which obviously is great for a small business um when you're trying to get customers and people to use your product um but want to kind of flip a switch here and and talk about what what brought you to us as a member um you know we're a, a policy-based trade group which means 
we care about policy um, and the way that our members are impacted by um, legislation and regulations at the state and federal level. Um, Parag, you know, you know that we work on a whole slew of issue areas, uh, you know, whether that's broadband, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, all the way to privacy, security, and competition, and obviously a bunch of stuff in between. Um, So there's a lot of room uh, for a lot of different interests and passions when it comes to the work that we do and, and what our members engage in. So, you know, what's something that you and the folks at Vimos are thinking about when it comes to legislation or regulation that could help or hurt um, what you're set out to do? So for us, I mean, I think top of mind is always privacy. Um, Privacy really can have a huge impact on startups. And that's not to say that, you know, myself or or the way we at Vimos think about privacy is not, hey, we don't want privacy. We absolutely believe in customer privacy and customer um, understanding of the data that's being collected. But the scary part right now for us, and I think many other startups, is a state-to-state privacy bill where we would have to figure out, you know, based on where the where our consumer customer is, or you know, where a transaction has taken place, how to handle privacy. So I think that's a really big concern. Anytime you have a lot of potentially conflicting privacy bills across the country. Um, it only increases the amount of uh, work that a startup has to do. It increases the risk of being litigated against, um, which is very scary for a lot of startups who don't probably have the capital to fight a lot of that. Um, so I think having a national privacy bill would go a long way um, into helping startups. And, and if you're helping startups at the end of the day, you're helping innovation, right? And that's the key to everything is... I don't think most of the good entrepreneurs and good companies are, hey, let's steal everyone's data and let's, you know, let's not worry about privacy. We want great privacy, but we want to do it in a way that still allows innovation to happen. And it doesn't help sort of the big guys because the big the big players in this industry can afford to sort of have a team that's focused on all these privacy bills where startups generally can't afford to do that. So I would say that's a huge piece for us is is making sure that there is eventually a national privacy bill absolutely that makes a lot of sense and and thank you for sharing your perspective Parag. we we really appreciate uh you joining us for our global tech swamp member takeover it was so great to have you come on the pod once more uh like i said we really appreciated having you Yeah, it's always a great time. And hopefully I did enough to get invited one more time in the future. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) And now we're hearing from Svidoslav's video, a co-founder and CEO at Romanian-based member company, Wello. Can you talk to us a little bit about what inspired you to create Wello? You know, how it works, who uses it? Um, is it an app? You know, just kind of fill us in. And the main point of our, uh, of our Wello was exactly my personal issues about the health. And I started to study about the nutritional and we started to 
uh, we also uh, put it one grant uh, in for you funds and this grant was accepted and from that point we started to debate and create uh, the well it's a family that help the family that helps with overweight and obese uh, kids uh, and the idea is we have a good experience about the mobile application and that's why we started to go with the mobile because of technology and also i think for me it's more easy to track by application than to go to the doctor or to go to nutritionist or something like this. We have every day like between 100 and 200 downloads. Also, we are creating the profiles. Uh, we already have over 50k of 50,000 of uh, users. And the feedback also are good overall if you saw the rating in the App Store and Google Store the, and also we receiving also the good feedback by the users and so on. Mm. And also the good point that uh, we signed the official, also we created, it's not yet implemented in the application, but we created the first influencer, virtual influencer in the world. It's, the name is Wello. Uh, and we signed this year with... Uh, Minister of Education from Romania, and we are wow. implementing in all the schools from Romania uh, that they can have uh, one hour in one month uh, uh, the nutritional lessons and very interactive lessons, that meaning with animation and so on. So since this is your first time on the podcast, I'm hoping you can tell us more about the team at Wello and you know how all the moving parts work together to make it a successful app. Yeah, we are quite, uh, I'll say, full team, good team, let's say. Uh, we have developers, we also have a nutritional experts, and some of them, some of them are very, let's say, popular here in Romania. That meaning they are only for the children nutritional. Mm -hmm. Also, they was, for example, in summer school also they was and helped us exactly to understand. And most amazing for me personally from these experts that we are trying to not get uh, information very complicated, very very simplified. That meaning, like everyone need to understand it's very easy because uh, some of you know, but some of experts are start trying to very complicated. I don't know. You know, you need to create a specific diet that it's with avocado that need to <laughs> go to that specific mountain and so on. And we try very very well. And these experts are really helping us a lot to exactly about uh, to simplify information. And that's very important for the kids. Also for for me, like a parent, it's more easy to understand. Like for dumpies, this, this, no, yes, this, this, yes. And yeah, it's helping a lot. So Wello is an mHealth app driving innovation in the app economy and the importance of apps like Wello in health will only continue to increase. So thanks to Wello and our other EU members specializing in the mHealth field, we have an amazing opportunity to work with these innovative life-saving companies as they continue to develop and grow. As a forward-thinking mHealth slash digital health SME, what's something that's top of mind that could really help or hurt the mission that you have at Wello? This can be regulation, an industry standard, um, anything that, that is impacting you and the work you're doing. Yeah, Romania is uh, quite popular about the IT companies, I would say, also for the outsourcing world, that meaning everyone's coming here. Uh, from the pandemic, uh, from the, after the COVID, uh, a lot, 
a lot of companies uh, come back again because everyone started to make digitalization. Yeah, I understand that it's not a good thing the COVID uh, was, but it was also the good push uh, for the digitalization and that old. And yes, Romania is very good about informatics. Also from my city where I'm living here, uh, we have a lot of universities that are, let's say, providing uh, the new brains and so on. So how important is this workforce development issue to you? Yeah, it's very important. For example, if I would go in Romania in some cities where uh, it's missing the universities, also the technical universities, it would be quite uh, difficult to find the guys and so on. Mm -hmm. Guys, girls, don't care. Absolutely. Workforce development is an issue that actually impacts our members across the globe. So we're really looking forward to how we can continue to work together to help empower the next generation of developers. Thanks so much for joining us on TechSwamp. And now I'm going to be throwing it to Alex and Brad for our final interview of the pod. And rounding out our Global Tech Swamp member takeover, we're being joined by Betsy Furler of US-based member company For All Abilities. Hi, Betsy. It's so nice to have you join us on the pod. Hi. Thank you for join for allowing me to join you. Of course. We're so excited to have you join us once again. It's always a good time to have you on Tech Swamp. I know you've filled this in before, but can you give us a little background on who you are and what you do at For All Abilities, just let our listeners know what drives the mission for you all over sure. there at For All Abilities. Yep. So I'm Betsy Furler, and I'm the founder and CEO of For All Abilities. We are a company that helps other companies get the best out of all of their employees and by amplifying their strengths and and decreasing their weaknesses and. We do that through an assessment tool that allows employees to self-assess and provides them with supports or ADA accommodations if they happen to have a disability, but it actually provides supports for everyone regardless of a diagnosis of a disability or if they have a diagnosis of a disability but they don't want to disclose that, our report, our um, assessment and report helps with that. It's a software that the employees, hopefully it's going to be an app soon. Um, it's an, a, a software that the employee uses, so they, um, you know, it's a very easy, simple tool and um, it only takes about 10 to 15 minutes for them to complete this self-assessment. And when they go through it, they get a report um, sent to their email immediately after, and that report only goes to them. So we have, um, we're very serious about our privacy and security and especially privacy of the data of the employees from their employers, because we don't want someone to accidentally um, get disclosed as having a disability when they didn't want to disclose that. So the um, it's all, the employee has control of all of it. They can choose to give that information to their employer if they'd like. It's, um, it's an AI tool, and I was actually inspired to start For All Abilities at one of the app cons a few years ago in 2018, I oh, no started way. talking about some consulting that I was doing, helping employers with disability related issues. And I started talking to some of the other members and about this problem. And we were talking about AI at the time. And I was like, hey, I wonder if this would be an application for machine learning or AI. And everybody jumped on it and was like, yes, Betsy, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. 
So it started out of my consulting business and then trying to turn the consulting that I was doing into a tool that used machine learning. And we do use a rules engine currently, and we're hoping to get more sophisticated AI as we gather the, the data that we need to do that. We unfortunately can't buy any data that helps us build um, the platform because it's all very unique data that hasn't been collected before. That's so cool. I knew that you had talked to other ACT members about it, but I didn't realize that the idea came from an AppCon. That is like the most exciting thing I think <laughs> I've heard all day. So thank you for that. Um, okay, so for all abilities, you're harnessing the power of technology to help employers meet the needs of their employees, um, both as it relates to um, ADA and disability workforce training and sort of beyond that. Um, and you travel all over the country and correct me if I'm wrong, but the world as well, um, consulting companies of all sizes, helping them understand and empower their employees. Um, and so when it comes to accessibility tech and the work that you're doing, what's something that you're thinking about that could really help or hurt, you know, your, your overall mission at For All Abilities? Well, broadband is always, as, as y'all know, it is one of my favorite topics. Um, <laughs> broadband is very important to me. And the access to broadband is so important for everyone, for education and for the workforce. And, you know, with our tools specifically, if an employee, you know, can't access um, the tool, obviously they can't benefit from it. But also one of the best accommodations is sometimes someone being able to work remotely or work from home. And obviously they'd have to have good broadband to be able to do that. Um, I'm also a big proponent of people being able to live and work in places in the place they want to live and work in. Mm -hmm. And there have been places that I've considered moving in the past that were not, that had to be taken off the table because there was not access to good broadband. Got it. So that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other, you know, privacy obviously is, is crucial to our product and um, the, having um, varying laws in all the different states um, can is, is very confusing to us. And we already have, I think we have four attorneys that we consult with on a regular basis on different issues around our product. And um, as you know, as we're worrying about privacy laws, when it's, we're having to worry about, okay, whether the laws in California and whatever the laws in all the you know, different states, that makes it very difficult to conduct business. And our, our customers do have employees all over the country. And one of our customers is um, about to acquire a couple of customers, uh, a couple of other companies that are international. So, um, you know, if we could, if we can at least get the US privacy policies um, wrapped up into one thing, that would be very helpful to us. Cause like I said, it's very costly to have to keep up with all of these different laws across different states. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for providing all of that input. We really appreciate having you join us today on this episode of Global Tech Swamp Member Takeover. Um, it was so great to have you join us uh, and we hope to have you again soon. Great, thank you for having me.
And now it is time for Random Identifier. Brad, you are up first. What do you have for us? Of course. So I actually got the chance to see one of my favorite bands a couple weekends or weeks ago that I have talked about on Tech Swamp, Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever. Yes. But I'm not here to talk about them this time. I'm here to talk about the band that opened for them, um, Dropper. They actually ended up being quite fantastic. Um, you never know what you're going to get with an opener, but uh, they certainly gained a new fan in me. It's a pretty delightful indie rock band from New York City with a, a pretty fantastic female vocalist, and the guitars are all over the place. Their bass player was great. They have a keyboard player, uh, a very full sound. Uh, they've only put out one album thus far, but it's it's particularly good. So Dropper, would recommend. Dropper. Brad, my jaw dropped when you threw in that plot twist. I was shocked. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> what a play on words there. Whoa, I didn't even mean to. <laughs> it was a jaw dropper. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Well, <laughs> I wish that that was intentional. Now I feel extra lame. Um, <laughs> Caitlin, claimed what if, <laughs> I should have claimed it. I should have just been like, yeah, I totally meant it that way. Um, no, no. I would be lying, and I can't lie to you all, Tech Swamp listeners. You're too important to me. Um, <laughs> Caitlin, <laughs> what about you? What do you have for us? I have uh, been taking in a lot of content related to Woodstock 99, thanks to uh, Netflix and HBO. Yes. Um, it, like, I kind of knew, like, that it happened and it was bad, but I was a, a, a young child uh, when Woodstock 99 occurred. So, like, I remember there was some, like, hubbub around it, but I didn't really know. And then watching this documentary just really opened my eyes to the hellscape, to be quite honest. <laughs> that was Woodstock 99. And I, I appreciated both, um, both kind of documentaries. Um, because while they did have some crossover with who they interviewed, I felt like they both, like the one on Netflix kind of put more of the, the blame on the people who organized the, the concert, Mm. um, versus the concert goers, um, or the festival goers. Um, so it was just really interesting to see how like, you know, the audience was getting blamed, but then also the people who were organizing it were getting blamed. And then just like to see the different perspectives of like men and women who were there and how like men were feeling like empowered and it was fun for like a little bit, but like women were feeling totally the opposite in some ways. Um, It was a very interesting piece of pop culture to consume, especially, um, you know, since it happened kind of a long time ago, but not that long ago because it was very reminiscent of like the fire festival. Right. Yeah. So just a lot to take in. Would yeah. Recommend. I'm very excited to watch it. I have every intention of watching both. Um, I also like, I have distinct memories of when it happened because like, so I was, I think I, I was like nine, but it was like close to my 10th birthday, I think. And I remember, um, that like at that time Limp Bizkit was on every radio station and so I would like hear them a lot and so I was like mm-hmm. I considered myself a fan at that time oh, no. and yes. I <laughs> right oh yeah no totally um and um and I just like very distinctly remember that that was like a thing where I was like oh maybe I hate them you know what I mean <laughs> like I remember like hearing about it being like oh maybe they're like the worst because I also like knew that I liked Cheryl Crow and I knew that people threw stuff at Cheryl Crow during mm-hmm. the show and I was like maybe I'm not okay with that anyway 
Also, yeah. speaking of Cheryl Crow, like, I didn't realize that Jewel and Cheryl Crow had, like, a little beef, and maybe that was a uh, naive 90s kid in me not knowing that, but there was some shade thrown in the Woodstock documentary oh by Jewel to Cheryl Crow, and I was like, you know what, this whole festival is way too messed up for you to even be being shady about Cheryl Crow, Jewel, like, read the room, please. Oh my gosh. Um, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know about that beef either, but now I'm even more excited to read it. Yeah, it's really good. You'll love I mean, it. watch it, not read it. Um, <laughs> um, well, my random identifier this month, given that it's a global episode, I'm going to talk about two movies that I watched that were both um, films, both um, based and made in the UK, but also about true stories that happened in the UK. Um, and one is called The Duke, and it's based on a true story about this guy who basically stole a painting. Um and then, like, served time only for stealing the frame. Um, and it's a beautiful... It, let me tell you, this story was beautiful. Like, it's a beautiful film with perfect acting, and it's, like, wonderful, and I couldn't say more good things about it. It's Brian Scarpelli from Our Team Would Hate It. It's fully about the triumph of the human spirit, but I don't care. I recommend it to everyone. I think everyone would really love it. It was a really beautiful film. Um, and the other one um, is a uh, film called Phantom of the Open, and it's a true story about a guy who basically like conned his way into the British Open, which is a golf tournament. Brad, golf. Sure um, is. And, um, but had never golfed like a game, like uh, like had never golfed. Like he just like saw a thing on TV, was like, I want to do that, and then like somehow conned his way into the British Open, and then got the worst score ever gotten uh, at the British Open. Um, and and then it's like a beautiful story again a beautiful story perfectly acted so wonderful completely about the triumph of the human spirit um i don't really cry very often let me tell you your girl had tears at the end of this movie it was beautiful yeah and i was like golf i'm not gonna cry about a stupid golf movie and i was wrong stupid yeah Uh, well that's what i thought it was gonna be like a you know little light fluffy thing and instead it was like really funny really wonderful and I just think everyone really liked both of those movies. So, okay. um, yeah, that's what I'm here to say. <laughs> do you do you know what it kind of reminds me of? There's this, uh, like, fantasy football leagues have punishments for the last place person. Mm. And the U.S. Open has open qualifying, so anyone can sign up to try to make the U.S. Open in golf. Okay. And some leagues make it the punishment that the last place person has to go to this U.S. Open qualifying amongst a bunch of people who take it incredibly serious and are very good at golf and just absolutely hack it apart um which sounds funny and probably would not make you cry but it would make you laugh yeah well and so okay (laughs) it's a true story but i'm also not going to share a thing but i will say that um brad michigan is involved in this story in sort of its culmination in like a really beautiful way like that's when i cried is like they traveled to michigan for this thing so Whoa. all I'm going to say is it's so good and you really would love it and you should watch it. The Mitten State had you emotional. Yeah, it did. It did. And when you watch the movie, you'll see why. The only thing <laughs> okay. that this movie is really missing is like a Dave Matthews soundtrack to get Brad to watch. I know. I know. <laughs> like like Elton John with Lion King, except Dave it's, Matthews with this. It's <laughs> Unfortunately, it's heavy on the disco. There's quite a bit of disco oh. music. That hurts. That does not help the case. But it's funny. It serves the story well. Okay. Okay. I'll give it a try. You should. Yay.
Okay, folks, that is it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And we have transcripts available. You can find them in our show notes as well as on podscribe.com. Just search Tech Swamp. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate review. Five stars only, please. (laughs) And that is all for today, folks. Thanks for listening to this global episode of Tech Swamp. Everyone, say bye. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.